Hi, I'm Nick. I'm Rory. And I'm Jay. And this is Midnight Chats, an Octivigant companion show where we sit down with your favorite paranormal authors, investigators, and researchers and have a chat about their work, the phenomenon, and all the strangeness in between. And on this episode, we are joined by YouTuber, paranormal investigator, and author, Alex Matsuo. Yes. Uh, Alex was a lot of fun. Yeah, this was great. This was a, this was just a lot of like back and forth, fun conversation. I mean, also objectively, probably the funniest story that's been shared by a guest oh, on, yeah. on Midnight Chats. <laughs> oh my god! I don't want to spoil it, but uh, look towards the end of the interview. No, yeah. you guys have to listen to that shit in real time. We will not reveal it. Yeah, no, it's too funny. It's uh, way too funny. Alex had a lot of interesting insights. Uh, I really enjoyed our conversation about, I guess, kind of the state of the union of the paranormal community mm-hmm. and. And what are some of the challenges we face as a community? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I enjoyed myself, and I hope you guys will, too. So are we ready to let them listen to it? I mean, I am. Any, any, Anything else that we want to add here? Nope. All right. Then let's go. That was awkward. Yeah, it was. <laughs> I'll clean it up in post. <laughs> We are on the line with Alex Matsuo. Alex, thank you so much for giving us some of your time this evening. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. So getting right into it, our first question is one that we ask all of our guests because we are a book club, uh, which is what are you currently reading and what sort of books do you gravitate towards? Ooh, what am I currently reading? I am currently revisiting uh, Catherine Crow's The Night Side of Nature. Uh, I have it on paperback, but it's easier to read on my Kindle. So that's where that's how I'm reading it. And um, books that I gravitate towards, um, I've really been interested in reading books about local ghost stories. I mean, I just moved, well, not just moved, but uh, six, seven months ago, I moved to the DC metro area on the Virginia side. So I'm really trying to learn about the local haunts and the ghost stories and everything. So I'm finding myself um, gravitating towards. Uh, like, um, what's, what's it called? Like books, just like about different ghost stories around the DC Metro area. Um, just trying to find new spooky places to explore. And, uh, there's so much history in Virginia and I was so comfortable in North Carolina with like, Oh, I know like the areas that are haunted in Virginia. It's like 10 times more than what North (laughs) Carolina has. (laughs) So I've been trying to read as much as possible. And, um, those are the books I'm really gravitating towards right now, besides my corporate work-life books that I'm reading just for professional development. Oh, yeah, I understand that. I mean, Night Side of Nature, that is a, a, that is a paranormal deep cut. That is a very uh, foundational text to a lot of what's going on in the modern day. It really is. And I, I, I'm always surprised at how many people don't know who Catherine Crow is. So I'm, I'm trying to dig a little deeper into her work so mm. that I can better advocate for her. Because you know, I want to say something a little bit more than Oh, she brought poltergeist and doppelganger to the in- to in- into English usage. Like, I want to dive a little deeper than that, uh, especially since I'm going to start utilizing her more in some of my lectures and presentations. And so, I'm just trying to get down to the nitty gritty, get to know her a little bit more via Kindle, at least. I mean, uh, that's admirable. I mean, I it always struck me as a little odd too, considering the fact that you know Catherine Crow. It's such a cool name. You think it'd yeah. be more people would latch onto that. Right. Well, it's funny because, you know, I'm I'm a content creator and I recently got a pretty big following on TikTok. And so I have a lot of people sending me free stuff now, which, you know, is nice. And <laughs> one of them was they wanted me to read and review and promote this book. And it's like it's supposed to have like the history, like the extensive history of like the paranormal, like spiritualism's in there, Ouija boards, like everything you can think of is in there except Catherine Crow. And I'm like, and a part of me, I'm contemplating if I want to emailing the person who sent me the book and just kind of ask, like, this is a significant part of paranormal history that is blatantly missed. Because, mm. uh, I mean, you got Hans Holzer, Harry Price, Peter Underwood. You got all of this stuff. 
all the, all these people and all of this content history wise, but Catherine Crow's not mentioned. And I don't know. I've, I, I'm like, there's no way that this person did the research that they did and didn't run into Catherine Crow at some point, right. especially when they do go into, cause they, I, they even talk about SPR in the book. And I'm like, there's no way because Catherine Crow laid down the foundation for SPR. So it almost feels deliberate wow. at that point. Well, and that's, and that's what I was wondering. So I, I'm contemplating because I don't want to leave a bad review on Amazon initially mm -hmm. yet or promote it badly because, I mean, overall, it's a good resource, but that's going to that's my one big hiccup with it. But I almost want to reach out to the person who sent me the book. Like, I think it was their agent or something. And just say, like, can I have like five minutes with the author? Because I'm just curious as to I want to understand why this was overlooked. I mean, was it because of the thing that happened that may or may not have happened in Edinburgh with her walking around in her birthday suit? You know, right. is that why? Or yeah, it's just it's it's very it's very interesting. So that's my uh, thing. I hope that it's not because of that incident, because, I mean, people still read Crowley, and he did much worse than that. People still read the Warrens. <laughs> you know, who lie. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and the Warrens are in the book, too. They're like, like if Catherine Crow was in this book, it, I would be like, yeah, y'all need to read this book. It's incredible. I mean, it's sitting on my shelf right now, and I'm just kind of staring at it like, I don't know what to do with you. And, you know, when you're sent free stuff with the expectation of, producing content around it it's you know i'm like oh i'm waiting for the email of, of them asking like hey we sent you the book a couple months ago are yeah. you gonna make the thing that you said you would make and i'm like if i make it you're not gonna like it <laughs> right before i started transitioning i was actually uh following a beauty youtuber who stopped doing product promotions and reviews because of that exact thing of they would send her products she would have a bad experience with them, deliver an honest review, and then she'd have these companies calling her and yelling at her and telling her she had to pay for the product because she left a bad review. And she's like, I'm not going to lie to my followers, dude. Right. Right, right. All right, well, moving into uh, your work, we, we have a number of questions about that. So one of one of the things that we that the three of us actually spent a lot of time on when we did our episode on one bed over was the exact nature of the of the leather jacket man. Um, some of us were arguing that he was clearly just a ghost, a, you know, a discarnate dead spirit. Some of us were arguing that he might have been more of a poltergeist. So this question is technically two questions. One in the years since, do you feel like you've gained any better insight into his exact nature? And two, as a paranormal investigator, do you even find any value in attempting to apply taxonomy to the paranormal? Mm, that's a great. Those are two great questions. Yeah. So as I was writing the book, well, this was a story and I mentioned this in the book that I didn't really plan on sharing. It just kind of turned into a uh, you know, haunted hospitals contacted me like, Hey, do you have any stories? Or we heard about, you know, you may have some stories and I'm like, well, maybe you can see if you can see if you like this. Yeah. And, uh, so it was, it wasn't really a story I ever planned on retelling, nor did I really revisit that side since, um, until I started writing the book and I was, I was, uh, reliving, you know, some of those experiences. I found my, um, diaries and journals from, that time, as well as my mom's um, diaries and journals, which I inherited after she passed. Uh, and <laughs> I was kind of looking back, I'm like, you know, it, it's hard. It's hard because I think on one end, it's like it's possible that he was some sort of spirit ghost um, survival of consciousness from this individual. But on the other end, uh, I wondered if maybe this was my own trauma projecting and somehow like like a poltergeist, because um, it does it does kind of hit the check boxes for a poltergeist. You know, not I wasn't necessarily going through puberty, but I, I went through a traumatic incident um, and I was in an incredibly stressful situation and continue to be in a stressful situation um, during my recovery. The only reason why I'm hesitant to land on that is because as I got better, the activity intensified. Uh, so as I was on this journey towards healing and resuming normal life, now granted, that could also be subconsciously, um, survivor's guilt is a real thing. Um, oh, yeah. 
And that's and not just the fact that I survived and that this man didn't it, uh, the whole idea of, are you living life to the fullest or, you know, why haven't you won your Nobel Peace Prize yet? You know, it's this <laughs> yeah. like you've been given this gift of life. You need to go use it. Um, yeah. So I, th- so I think that can be, that can impact the brain as well or, and the subconscious. Um, but sometimes when I go through milestones in my life, I feel his vibration around me, if that makes sense. Like I, I'm like, oh. you know, when someone, like when someone, you know, walks into a room and you don't even have to turn around yeah. like, yeah. Oh, my grandma's here. You know, that's the feeling I get. And like, it happened. I didn't really notice it until after I got engaged and I started wedding planning. Mm. Um, and that was just in March of last year. And, you know, I was working on the book at the time and I was like, well, maybe it's because I'm like thinking about him and all of this stuff is coming back. But it happened when I was in North Carolina wedding dress shopping. And um, once again, it's like, uh, you know, and my fiance and I have been trying for a child. And mm. when we got the positive test, that vibration came in. So it was like this, um, like milestones in life, you know? Yeah. Um, and there was a, there was a while though, that I guess you could describe me as a late bloomer where I didn't really have those milestones, at least not in the socially acceptable time frame. You know, I'm 36 <laughs> getting ready to get married for the first time. And mm-hmm. for some people they're clutching their pearls over it. So, um, <laughs> yeah. So, and a part of me, because a part of me and one of my um, friends was like, you know, have you thought about trying to have a communication session with him? And I've thought about it. I'm just not confident in the fact that I'm not going to reopen that door and yeah. let him back in, you know, and I and I have ca- and I have cats. I have a fiance now in this case. Um, now, granted, if I knew it was just going to surround me like it did last time, I might be like, you know, let's take the risk because I'm a much different person now. But at the same time, I'm like, uh, not, now knowing what my mom went through, I'm not like super confident in taking that risk because I don't want to cause further harm to my fiance or my animals. Oh, for sure. Oh, that's understandable. I mean, so uh, your fiance, where does he fall on the paranormal stuff? Is he a, a non-believer? Is he all in on it? Huh. Um, <laughs> what he Technically, he's a non-believer. Um but he's being pulled into the believer side and he's kind of digging his his um, nails into the floorboards as like he's being dragged into the <laughs> belief side because we've had experiences and he's had experiences when I'm not home. Mm. And uh, he's always like, <laughs> he's always like, what did you bring home this time? You know, he's uh, he'll tell me some things and our apartment does have something going on with it where I haven't. It's it's a tricky thing to investigate your own home because it's just you, you just. There's there's just some things you can open up and again I have animals I I have an elderly cat with with it with early stage kidney failure I'm like I'm not gonna poke the bear um, but we've had things happen here like we've heard voices in this apartment like somebody's actually in the apartment um, you know like I heard someone like moan in our apartment that it was just really loud and my fiance was sleeping I thought it was him. And then when I looked, I mean, he was just sleeping soundly, nothing like, and I'm like, huh, that's weird. Cause you know, he has sleep apnea and I'm like, oh, maybe he was just like, ah. but I was like, oh wait, but that also came from my office and you know, in here. So, um, yeah, so he's, he wants to remain a non-believer. It's just getting more difficult for him to stay in that mindset. It's just uh, clawing at the ground, getting dragged into the world of the paranormal. Yep. Sounds a yep. lot like yep. my wife. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like Jay with aliens. <laughs> People tricked me into believing in aliens and I will never forgive you. <laughs> now, um, Oh my gosh. On the question of taxonomy, where do you think you fall? Is Are those classifications useful at all from your perspective? Um, yeah, ab- absolutely. I do. I mean, I don't like to see, I, I like how you put it. They're classifications to help their, their names to help us classify things, not necessarily a label, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, because, and I even struggle with the, with the labeling of poltergeist and psychokinesis. I mean, cause clearly people see poltergeist as one thing and psychokinesis as another, or if they even know what psychokinesis is, but then in the world of parapsychology, poltergeist is associated with psychokinesis. Right. Yeah. Um, which 
I go back and forth about, because when someone tells me, oh, I think I have a poltergeist and I'm like, okay, who's going through puberty in your, in your household or going through menopause and, mm -hmm. you know, are things just moving <laughs> are things moving around what's happening? Um, yeah, I think they can be useful, but the one I do struggle with is ghosts versus spirit. Mm. Um, cause for me, I don't, how people label a ghost, I would label as a residual haunting, at least can most people I've talked to. And then a spirit as something more intelligent. I tend to use ghost and spirit in interchangeably, mainly because mainly it's because it's a social media and a marketing strategy. The algorithm is is way more friendlier to the word ghost than it is spirit. Because mm. when I use spirit, I tend to get into the psychic medium, new age, more right. spiritual side of the internet. And that's not what I am. That's not who I am. So I tend to use ghost a lot. Um Cause that tends to attract the right audience, but then I get people correct, you know, trying to correct me. And I'm like, eh, I don't know. Um, ultimately I think, yeah. I think you said, I think you hit the nail on the head. Like, honestly, at least for me too, I agree. Like ghost and spirit, it's semantics well, at this point, yeah. you know, especially cause we, there's not even really a consensus about what a ghost is. It, yeah. So it kind of, it honestly, the taxonomy that we use for the paranormal does not feel dissimilar to the taxonomy that we use for things like serial killers over on the true crime side of it. it's like, yes, these are categories, but the lines between them are extremely blurry and you mm -hmm. frequently find individual cases where they exhibit two like they exhibit two categories or even all of them at once and like that's what i kind of feel about i'm glad you brought up the psychokinesis versus poltergeist thing because especially based on like the alma fielding case like those things might frequently be the same thing right now i mean continuing along that discussion of taxonomy uh and what else might be out there now obviously your work as you were just saying is focused mostly on hauntings on ghosts uh, where do you fall, though, on other elements of paranormality, thinking things like demons, UFOs, cryptids? Are do the, are those on your radar at all? Do you uh, have any ideas about where they might fit in in your own uh, kind of internal cosmology? That's a great question. So uh, aliens, I'm going to be honest, aliens freak me out a bit, uh, <laughs> quite a bit. Um, I'm actually I found out about a year or two ago that my grandfather had a UFO sighting and um, this really wonderful historian from uh, from a former military training ground. She, um, she uh, it was Fort, Fort Snelling. Yeah, Fort Snelling. Um, she contacted me asking me if John Matsua was my grandfather. My grandfather has like this Forrest Gump like history, except, you know, he was he was like an aerospace engineer. So he was like incredibly intelligent, but he's like he's been like adjacent to like major historical figures and just has like this crazy life. And she contacted me and she's like, is this the same John Matsuo? Like, are you related to him? And I was like, yeah, he's my grandfather. And she sent me like this whole workup of his that she found on his life. And one of them was a UFO sighting that was found in this random book that's out of print. Hmm. <laughs> and, it, and it lines up. Well, and he was also stationed at Wright Patterson air force base. Interesting. Oh, wow. uh, in okay. The, in the, yeah. in the fifties. So, he and I knew that he, I know that he believed in aliens. Uh, my mom told me that he would always keep a camera with him uh, just in case he ever saw like intelligent life, an alien or a UAP UFO. Uh, and so for him, who, again, um, not aerospace, he was an aeronautical engineer. So, I mean, again, extremely intelligent person. Yeah. Um, no kidding. <laughs> you know, and also and also keep in mind, he was also Japanese, you know, and that's a whole other cultural um, cultural, um, background that we have to consider with how he would perceive, um, things like that and how socially acceptable it would be and him being willing to put, willing to put his name in print about a UFO sighting. Um, so for him to be that way, I'm like, okay, I think there may be some validity to this. Um, so, but I also don't want to like, poke the bear too much because i i don't know it's it's this and black eyed kids that i'm like i i don't i don't uh i hate those things <laughs> <laughs> it's like you just don't i just don't i'd rather not poke the bear if i don't need to but also uh i am a little uncomfortable with the ufo community as well especially as somebody who is um eh, depending on the time of day mostly i'm female identifying but i also I go by she they um and you know i'm pan um, 
and I'm also part Asian, you know, I I'm kind of not, I'm not the typical UFO person, like in that demographic that typical. Um, so I am a little uncomfortable finding space in that community and, you know, asking questions and everything has just kind of been a little uncomfortable. And I feel similar about cryptids. Um, although I lived in North Carolina for almost nine years and I was right in Bigfoot territory. Um, there's a cryptozoology and paranormal museum that was only like an hour and a half away from me. Really interesting stuff. Um, I find crypt, I, I find cryptids fascinating. I'm just not smart enough to really like get into it because I'm not a biologist. I'm not a zoologist. Um, I just kind of look at what everyone else does and I'm like, oh, okay. Although one of my favorite people who's really into cryptids, she isn't a scientist at all. She actually builds costumes and she's like, I don't, I just like, I, I know how they can build these costumes and create them and make them look realistic. And, um, so I was like, okay, that's fair. I, I actually, I, I'm really into that. Um, demons. Uh, okay. I don't know if I believe in demons anymore. Like the deeper I get into the paranormal world, what one, like, especially in the satanic panic age that is apparently coming back. Yeah. Um, unfortunately. Yeah. 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 Apparently, you know, we we're running into satanic panic again. Thanks. Um, on. <laughs> and thanks. You know, thanks a lot of, for a lot of people that for that, um, you know, just finding like my beliefs, getting called satanic like you know i'm i'm a paranormal content creator on tiktok and i do a lot of videos where my background i have a huge ouija planchette i usually have a ouija board on display um i have you know things up i mean i i collect ouija boards i love the lore behind them so i have them up on my wall and i just get people all the time like you have demonic things on your wall no wonder you have paranormal activity and i'm like the paranormal activity we get is pr- besides like some voices and things moving is pretty freaking mild. And they play with the cats. We have seen one that we have seen something play with the cats, which is interesting. I, it hasn't happened again since it initially happened. But I but I also real I also learned that people granted it's valid. Paranormal experiences can be scary when you see something, hear something, um, feel something. It can be very scary, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's demonic. Um, and I'm finding that a lot of people are labeling things demonic if it makes them uncomfortable. So, and that's, you know, that kind of glides into the whole Christian mindset, uh, that's driving satanic panic right now. And, um, yeah, so I, I, I struggle. I've only had maybe one or two cases in my career that I would consider like, this is some, this was like an evil, evil spirit. Um, I mean, even when I came out with my own story, people were contacting me telling me that the man in the leather jacket wasn't a ghost. He was a demon. And I'm like, we literally, my mom literally read from the Bible to try to get rid of him. And he just laughed. So if for me, if religious, religious resolutions does not work, it's probably not what you think it is. Yeah. So I, I, I struggle with the whole demon thing. Just incredibly struggle with it. I mean, that's completely fair. Absolutely. Now, I did latch on, though, to one thing you were talking about. Obviously, regarding broaching into certain spaces within the paranormal community can be very difficult for some people uh, as they have not always been as accepting as we would hope they would be. Yeah, and, I, and I'm and i sure you're going to go somewhere with this, but I just want to tack in there. Um, one thing, I agree uh, wholeheartedly with you, especially about the UFO community as a non-bi- non-binary person myself. Uh, it is, they, they're not uh, the greatest when it comes uh, to, 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 uh, to, to us specifically. But one thing that I will say is there are some out there that are great. You know, um, us, we're great. I, I'm biased, of course. But, uh, <laughs> and, but there are, there are plenty, of, plenty of others out there. It's just, especially when you're in, in the Twitter sphere, like 90% of the people out there, it feels like, are so unbelievably toxic. It's just, especially if you're interested in it, just find the books and learn about it yourself. Like, screw everybody else, you know? We can send you a reading list. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say, if you actually want to learn more about it, like, we, we got the books. Don't we, read we can any, tell you. Don't read anything by Len Caston. Oh, God, no. <laughs> yeah, and back, oh. to, back to the question. Now, one thing we did notice, though, on your social media posts is that you are often advocating for broader diversity and inclusivity within the paranormal community. Uh, so but in your opinion, what are the steps we can take as individuals and content creators within this community to help that process along? I think 
you know, what you're doing right now with the podcast, you know, you invited me into your space and giving me a platform to talk and share my story. That's a great step. You know, I think this is similar with like events. If, you know, people are having, if people are holding an event, you know, invite some of the folks who are not on TV to have some space because, you know, TV is not very diverse right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to, I have to give Troy Taylor major props uh, for his Haunted America Conference 2023. The majority of his speaker list is female, um, which, and that's Troy Taylor using his platform and his privilege to help elevate uh, a marginalized group, which I'm very impressed with. Um, cause you, you don't see that. You don't see that a lot. Um, and actually the event I'm speaking at this weekend, it's mostly a female lineup and that's, I, I think we're starting to see a little bit of a change there, but then the next weekend I'm, I'm going to, uh, an event in Gettysburg where there's like 50 guests, but I can count maybe five women and maybe one or two people of color. So it's like, it's like that balance thing, but I think inviting them, inviting people to have space at, uh, have a seat at the table. That's, that's the analogy I use a lot. It's like, Hey, there's a seat at the table for you. Um, that's, that's a big, that's a big one, I think. And that's something, and that's something you're already doing right now by, you know, inviting, inviting me into your space and, um, you know, and, and sharing, um, I know when I was really advocating hard for this on Twitter and I got some backlash, but it's because I was targeting a particular paranormal celebrity. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, their co-star actually contacted me privately and he said, you know, I'd love to engage more in this conversation, but with my contracts, I can't do it, but I just want to say I'm with you. And I do want to have a paranormal event, uh, that's going to feature more people like you. And please let me know what I can do to make that happen. So even, yeah. So major kudos to that person. I don't want to out them by name on the recording because I don't want to get them in trouble, but, um, and I mean, I can private message it to you too. But, um, <laughs> so, so it's like, even if they're not speaking out, they do watch those conversations. So I think just amplifying voices is a big thing too. Cause I think that situation is the perfect example. It's like, they see the conversations, they see the points that are being made. Although I find it funny how some of them are like, well, I have contracts and I can't say anything, but then the bigger star on their show is like really running their mouths. And I'm yeah. like, do they not have a contract or they do? And they just don't care. I don't know. But, um, <laughs> But uh, but I also understand that also comes from a level of privilege and experience and networking in the in the paranormal media space and the entertainment space specifically. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Now, I mean, have you uh, you obviously you brought up a couple uh, moments where you got some online backlash. How I guess when you're when you were breaking into the paranormal community, did you encounter much resistance? Um, you know, the way that I broke into the paranormal community was. Uh, I, at least at the platform that I, ha- that I initially came on to, I was working for a team that had a, that had a large TV show and had a major following and that TV show did get canceled, but, um, that star and it still had a major following. So I was working for him and then he started giving me more opportunities to become known in the community and in, in that space, in that community. It ended in a burst of flames and a hot mess because this person was um, uh, using illicit substances Uh. and uh, ripping people off of their money. So just Uh. based on those two hints, you probably can probably know who it is. Um, And but I will say initially, as he did elevate me to like, hey, let's have you produce my radio show or hey, let's have you host the radio show. Help me run my events, that sort of thing. I got a lot of backlash from females, mainly, ironically, um, because they it was it was from a it was from a space of jealousy. Um, it was from a space of jealousy, but I also found myself getting some backlash uh just because there were people who wanted to occupy that space as well. And um they were they were trying very hard to either ruin my reputation, discredit me. Um it was, it was, it was bad. So my introduction to the community initially was, it was positive. Okay. Um, then I was let go rather publicly, but then that person's reputation also went downhill. So I think that helped me a little bit because it was like, Oh, Alex isn't crazy. She wasn't doing what this guy said that she was doing. And so as I started to ease myself back into more of a public side of the community, I found like I was getting more embraced, um, by a certain demographic uh, and actually, ironically, it was the same demographic that 
was trying to push me out like a couple years prior. <laughs> so um, it's amazing what, je- I guess, jealousy, not in the fame jealousy, but it's like, oh, you're close, you're adjacent to this person, you're or you're in their space and we want that too. Um, so I'm finding most, for, mo- for the most part, I'm getting, I do, I do get embraced. Um, but, you know, the, I have moments like, you know, if y'all saw the hate I was getting on Twitter a couple of weeks ago, just for, you know, speak, you know, speaking up and defending, um, another friend and this, you know, this person in particular made multiple, they made multiple sock accounts that they were just recycling through to harass me and anyone who was, you know, around me. I mean, and that's just the classic, like, okay, well, there's still people out there who think that the paranormal is still a male dominated space. and um, it's not, it's not, um, I do find that I do get some backlash too, from fans of a certain, um, TV show. Um, what's a, uh, you know, you know, the very famous with three guys looking for spooky stuff and mm-hmm. calling everything a demon and getting possessed oh, every episode. I know yep. exactly uh, which one you're talking about. Yeah. Yep. I want to uh, curl myself into the sun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I do get, especially since my TikTok account, a lot of it is, and good fun making fun of them, you know, making spoof videos about them. Uh, but some people take it way too seriously. And I'm like, you know, if they're watching my videos, if they have a problem with it, they can always just send me a cease and desist or they can message me or something. But I don't think they care. Yeah, you know. <laughs> Like if I had the money that they had, I mean, people can make fun of me all day, but I still I'm still making like six, seven figures a year. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Their platform is large enough that if they actually had a problem with it because it was deteriorating their platform or something, they would actually do something about it. But mm-hmm. I, I'm sure, I'm sure, because I know you're not the only one that dogs on the uh, on these people specifically, you know. And but also kudos to you for being a voice out there that's 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 putting reality back into the paranormal almost because instead mm-hmm. of just making everything a demon and continuing to spread almost that misinformation about the paranormality that's continued to put this weird uh like label on anybody who's interested in it it's like oh well you know it's every it's all evil and it's all demons like well no it's not and it's supposed to be fun mm-hmm. you know yep. well yeah. and it just it seems so insane to me just because and we've mentioned this on the show many times uh the paranormal is not an experience that is uh, ex- paranormal experiences are not limited to only one section of the population. It's a human experience. It's something that's been with us for our entire history. So the the idea that it belongs to any one group of people is just insane. Mm-hmm. It is. It, it absolutely is. And, um, you know, I, I care about the paranormal community and just the paranormal in general. I care about it too much to really just let that happen. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm particularly vocal about people who do spirit box sessions after a celebrity passes away. And, oh, yeah. you know, I, I put out that tweet. I made a TikTok saying like, hey, if you start, you're probably going to start seeing videos of people trying to contact Olivia Newton-John at the time this was reported. Um, <laughs> you're probably going to start seeing that kind of content. And sure enough, there were video, there are already videos on YouTube oh, yeah. claiming to contact her. And um, that's another thing that that's another thing. And one, and there was someone on Twitter who had replied to me saying like, you know, the accountability also goes to the audience. I'm very much paraphrasing, but I'm like that. You're absolutely right. Cause on, especially on TikTok and YouTube, I will see people almost requesting celebrities, like they're ordering food off of a menu. Yeah. And, um, that's not the paranormal. And these content creators are creating this really skewed view of how, how like, not even paranormal investigating, but spirit communication, like how that works. And, um, and I don't want to gatekeep it at all. Don't get me wrong, but I, there, but there is a line of ethics that's Mm -hmm. being crossed here, um, with this type of communication. And it's, and honestly, it's all for clicks. It's, it's for clicks and views. And there, most of these creators are monetized. So they're, they're making, they're making some money from this. Well, so I guess continuing along that conversation of, uh, I guess, supposedly your position within the paranormal community, as it were, uh, you've labeled yourself as a skeptical believer. Now, going to the paranormal community, you could see everywhere. Everyone has a slightly different interpretation of what both of those words mean. So we wanted to ask what they what does it mean to you and how do you walk that line between skepticism and belief? Mm. Yeah, so I see skeptical, skeptical believer as 
I, I, I want to believe in the paranormal. I want to now being a skeptical believer, you're also blessed, blessed with quotation marks with this incredible level of self doubt. <laughs> you know, you, yeah. you, you, you really question everything that happens. Like, I mean, I have a whole chapter in one bed over dedicated to being like, Hey, what, what actually happened to me? Um, you know, uh, cause I wanted to keep that balance. Um, it could, because, and the reason why I started using that label is because there's a stigma when you say you're a believer in the paranormal and there's a stigma. If you say you're a skeptic in the paranormal, um, skeptic is becoming aligned with, I don't believe at all. And granted that is due to a couple of skeptics who are on tick, you know, TikTok, YouTube, who don't believe in it. And some are a little more tactful than others, but just questioning how you do things. And I think it is fair. We do need to be able to be held accountable for our methods and why we use the equipment that we use. And I, I, that is fair. Um, but then, yeah, believers are told it's, they're more, they're becoming more aligned with like, they believe everything that they see. Um, so I, and I, and of course I didn't coin the term skeptical believer, but I, it's just, it's just the more most comfortable for me because it gives me some space to, to share like my personal paranormal stories and my theories on it. But then I can still go on social media and debunk some of these videos that are absolute crap. Um, or you can see the fishing line and you have people going, I don't claim this negative energy. Um, <laughs> you, know, yeah. you know, we've all seen those comments. Um, yeah. So for me, it's like, I want to believe in it. I want to, I, I want to, I really do, but I really need to see something a bit more substantial. If you're going to show me a video saying that this is proof of a ghost. Um, and it, it, and it gives me space to ask the, ask those questions too. Kind of, kind of like what skeptics do. I try not to be as aggressive though. Um, unless they're making claims that could be harmful to somebody, um, just like, Hey, how did you record this? Or, you know, what, what were your ISO settings or did you take this on your phone? And what makes you believe that this is paranormal? And I will always ask, like, if you could debunk this, if you could explain this in any way, how would you explain it? Um, and I found that's the golden question to ask because then they start thinking like, well, maybe it was a car driving by like, cause I try to, I'm these days I'm trying to get get people to kind of come up with it themselves rather than me saying like, Oh, it's this, this, and this, and this, it could be that because people don't listen. I mean, defend be defensiveness is, is not productive. Um, yeah. So that's kind of where I stand with that. It, it's labeling myself as a skeptical believer seems to be a good neutral line in this community mm -hmm. and in this space. So yeah. No, I tend to agree. I think all three of us, are, we walk that same line. It's, you know, wh what is it that you say, Nick? Uh, entertain everything, believe nothing. Yeah. Mm, yeah. I like that. That's kind of one of the, that's one of our go-to phrases when it comes to how we explore all of the, the topics that we, that we talk about, which is all of them. <laughs> uh, nice. So speaking of people treating the paranormal phenomenon like it's a McDonald's menu, huh. um, you've uh, you've talked about how um, some people, some homeowners specifically, seem to want their houses to be haunted. Um, with dealing with clients like those, how do you kind of walk the line between respecting their beliefs and kind of telling them like, hey, there's probably nothing going on here? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. This is something I, I run into a lot these days. Like they, uh, and on one end they want that validation because they, they want to ensure that they're psychologically sound. Um, because if we don't find anything, then they're thinking, okay, well there, then there's something wrong with me. Um, then there's something wrong with me that I need to dive deeper into. Um, on the other end though, I have been noticing that the paranormal has been used as a stepping stool to some sort of fame. Like it doesn't have to be good fame, but it's fame. Um, and recently I, especially since um, a certain TV show started doing house calls, we've gotten an uptick in case requests where they will say, I am trying to get on this TV show. Uh, it would be great if you could validate or they don't use the word validate, but if you could confirm that my house is haunted, um, because apparently their screening process is have you contacted a team and have they explored it? So I guess they're trying, I guess they're, they're wanting to use me as a reference. Um, but on the other end too, uh, 
a lot of it, uh, this is one of the sadder sides of it. And I find this more, more so with, um, usually the, the dynamic of the clients is they have a stay at home spouse, um, a stay at home spouse that is often alone, maybe taking care of the, of the children. I don't envy stay at home parents at all. Like I'm, I'm, I'm alone with a baby for five minutes and I'm like, I, I, I don't know how I'm going to handle it with my own, but I guess we'll figure it out. Um, (laughs) you know, it's, it's not, it's not easy. It's not easy. And you know, you lose a part of your identity and, um, depending how you go about parenting, um, with a lot of the clients that I've worked with, they've lost, like they've expressed that they've lost a side of themselves and having like that presence there, whether it's an actual spirit or it's like the spirit of their former selves that they're trying to grasp onto gets a little deep there. Um, when I have to tell them like, we haven't found anything, or I don't think there's anything going on that's paranormal. They get, they, they, they get really depressed. They get really yeah. sad of like, Oh, um, or on the, or on the other hand, if we do confirm that something's there and we say, Hey, here are your options and clearing the space is one or setting boundaries or, and they're like, Oh no, no, I don't want to do that. So we've actually had house housewives in particular after they tell us they want us to get rid of it or they want us to do X, Y, and Z, they don't follow through or they even open their space back up to bring it back. And I'm like, okay, well, if you want to do that, just tell me, just don't waste my time. So, yeah. Interesting. Now on the topic of, uh, I guess, well, there are some people who you said want there to be a haunting there. What I'm dying to know is uh, where do you fall on the concept of spirit rights? Like do do spirits or ghosts or whatever we'd like to call them have a right to the dwelling that they used to occupy or are currently occupying? And are there any circumstances where you felt it's best to tell the homeowners to just kind of live with it? Ah, that's a great question. Yeah. So I've run into a couple of situations with that. Um, one of them was the housewife who wanted the spirit to stay. Um, in this case, actually, the spirit wanted to go, but she kept like pulling him back. And I don't know the rules of the afterlife, but I was like, that might be ethically wrong. But um, <laughs> just holding this scrambling raccoon to your chest and being like, be my pet. Just a little illegal spectral imprisonment. <laughs> yeah, no, no, just no a little big bit. Deal. Yeah. yeah. And again, I don't know the rules of the afterlife, but apparently she was able to pull it off. And I'm like, I don't know if you're dealing with, into some ritual magic here that I'm not. Yeah. Okay. Um, (laughs) but yeah, in terms of spirits rights, oh gosh. So 100%, I do believe they have a right to exist in a space. Um, but when it does, when it becomes harmful, um, and I'm not meaning like, oh, you showed up in the hallway and you spooked me and you need to get out. It's, you know, you're physically harming me or you're tormenting me like the man in the leather jacket. Um, you know, he certainly had the right to be in my space, but he also disqualified himself from being in my space. It's almost like being within a, um, like having a roommate or a third or second partner, you know, it's like, Hey, they have a right to occupy this space. But as soon as it gets abusive, it's like, nah, nah, we're got to get out. So, um, or if it's just not working, you know, personality wise, you know, who, who would be the more logical person to leave you know the homeowners most likely is not the most logical choice unless they can financially benefit from moving and in this housing market right now absolutely not yeah good luck (laughs) so you got a ghost and they're a jerk and they won't leave well someone's got to go so yeah i think the right i think the spirits do have a right to inhabit like here with whatever i'm dealing with it's not it's not harmful and I say, like, you can stick around, you can stay just as long as you don't harm my cats or harm my spouse or harm me. So th- that's usually the boundary I set. Um, but I also have my mom tends to pop in and out and she's kind of turned into my bouncer a bit. <laughs> <laughs> it's like if you see a, a a short half Japanese woman roaming about the space, you need to get out. You've overstayed your welcome and she'll make <laughs> sure you get out. Like she has literally sterilized spaces before. And I don't know how I, I, again, I don't know the rules of the afterlife, but, um, it's happened. And even like psychic mediums who don't know that my mom's around and something like is potentially could be harmful to me or is, or is creating a negative experience for me. I'll think of my mom and I'll be like, Hey mom, can you help me out? And the psychic will be like, Oh, weird. Everything just stopped. (laughs) I'm like, 
Uh, I've got a I've got a spirit companion that's been attached to me since I was about 11 years old and she's very overprotective and she completely screwed up our last investigation because anytime I got nervous at all she came tearing back into the house and chased whatever was in the room away. I told her multiple times to go home and she openly defied me. It was hilarious. Yeah, it's actually funny because while you were talking, I was thinking, you know, kind of the right to habitate. It's like I have the right to, uh, you know, ride in an elevator. I don't have the right to get into an elevator with other people and start setting off fireworks in an enclosed space. Uh, If I do that, security will escort me out. And you just said, well, you have security. You have a spectral bouncer right there. Now, I guess continuing along uh, the conversation about your experiences in the Leather Jacket Man, I had a question uh, mostly, namely because I have a very personal connection to the narrative in there uh, in that I also survived a very nearly fatal car accident. Now, one aspect I found very interesting was the interplay between trauma and the paranormal experience. For example, after my own brush with death, most of the paranormal experiences I've had in my life occurred after that accident and kind of tapered off over time. So do you believe your own brush with death somehow opened you more fully to the other world? And do you believe that suffering or trauma may have a metaphysical element to it? Yeah, absolutely. So it wasn't until my friend Joshua Kutchin like heard me share about the story of my accident. Like I had shared it just in passing. Um, yeah, he's a well-known name in several yeah. spaces. We're, we, um, we, we, know, we, we like him. We're talking to him in about okay. a month. Yeah. Here. Oh, yeah. good, good. Is it probably about his book, The Ecology of Souls? I'm, a- I actually, it. it's about where the footprints end. That's We haven't gotten oh, around to okay. The Ecology of Souls yet. Okay. Yeah, I was a beta reader for The Ecology of Souls. And, nice. Uh, like, uh, anything he does is, but anyway, yeah. So I was, it was like after a panel at Con Carolinas, like someone had asked me, um, you know, I forgot. She was asking me about spirit attachments, and I loosely just shared about mine. And I was talking about the car accident, and Josh was like, "Alex, that's why ghosts gravitate to you. You've been there. Like you've had that brush with death, and um, you you know, like they can relate to you, and you can relate to them." And I will say. I have, I have been able to not necessarily, I don't want to say predict death, but lately, especially in the last couple of years when I've just kind of openly more, be more accepting of it. Like, I feel like I, I like, it's almost like I feel when the grim reapers around mm. and if a person's face or name pops in my head, I'm like, uh Oh, um, just very randomly. Like, even when I go to haunted places, like, especially like very dense places like Old South Pittsburgh Hospital or um, uh, St. Albans. Like I literally can feel death around me. And it's that same feeling I had that night at, at the hospital. So I don't know, like, did that open something up within me to um, to be more receptive to it? Because, I mean, I did start having more experiences after that. And then, of course, I'm, I'm doing a swan dive into the paranormal and investigating and ghost hunting so that that probably is a reason as well but there is a very strong link between paranormal experiences and trauma um when i did my talk for the ryan research center i talked quite a bit about that link um whereas you know what comes first the chicken or the egg like does the paranormal experience is it bred from like childhood trauma um there's a couple of academic studies about childhood trauma and paranormal beliefs and that link Uh, And that link with it. But also I found another study where, you know, whether science is willing to believe it or not, whether the paranormal is an actual thing, um, paranormal experiences do do create a level of trauma in of themselves. That is a valid experience. So even if like the ghost itself isn't real, the experience that that person has is real. The feelings that they felt is real. So there is a psychological impact um, uh, on the side of trauma when it comes to the paranormal. And I did notice as I was timelining my and when this when I wrote the book, it was like, you know, when you put your life story in there and you start to see like the major points in your life, I thought, holy cow, a lot of most of my experiences came from some sort of traumatic event. You know, my first experience happened after my grandfather passed away and he was pretty much my father figure. He was the parental role in my life for a father. Um, So I think there is something valid there. And I think either it's a way of processing or it opens something up within us. Um, I tend to lean on that more than my mom's theory. Apparently my mom dabbled into the occult when she was pregnant with me and 
she always blamed herself that I became who I was. She was like, it's because I used tarot cards when I was pregnant with you. (laughs) (laughs) Bless her heart. (laughs) It's what happens when you grow up in a, and live a fundamental Christian life. You know, it's like, you look, you look at a, you look at tarot cards funny and then it's like, Oh, it's your fault. It's, It's my fault that you're into this. Although after she passed side story, after she passed and I was going through her stuff, I found dowsing rods. I found crystals and stones and tarot cards. So I was like, oh, you're a closeted pagan. And you just <laughs> went to church because you lived in Kentucky. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that, that, I mean, among the list of things that you can find among your uh, deceased parents stuff, I think that's probably the, one of the better ones. There are some things that oh. I'm terrified of finding if I ever have to go through my parents' uh, house. Oh, Oh, I got a story. Um, and actually, it's very spooky. Uh, it, it has a spooky element. So my mom passed in another state. Uh, I was in North Carolina. She was in uh, she was in Kentucky. And um, I had to call a welfare check because we didn't hear from her the whole day. And, and sadly, we know the circumstances were that she passed away in her bed. Um, as I was getting ready to go to Kentucky to go through her stuff, um, I had always told her about my friend who's a psychic medium, you know, and we'll call her Alice for the sake of protecting her identity. As I was getting ready to board the plane to go to, go to Kentucky, Alice calls me and she says, okay, you know, I'm gifted. I don't want to overstep here, but your mom popped up. Your mom popped up the day that she died. And she, she told me to tell you, don't open the gray Rubbermaid container. Like, she's like, whatever you do, don't open it. Just throw it away. And I'm like, okay, that's weird. So as I were going through her, so as I started going through her stuff, I go into her bedroom and I see a Rubbermaid container, a gray is gray or blue Rubbermaid container by her bedside table. Oh my God. Curiosity got the best of me because yeah. I was specifically told not to open it, but Alice, it's me. <laughs> I opened it and um, I would have too. <laughs> I opened it and let's just say my mom took very good care of herself. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. That is, like, that is exactly some, what I fear. Yeah. <laughs> there was, there was some things in there that I was just like, dang, my mom was not vanilla at all. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> but I just find it so funny. It was like the equivalent of like delete my browser history. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like my mom doesn't appear to me. She doesn't appear to me first. She doesn't do any of that. She goes to my friend and tells her, like, tell Alex, don't look in the Rubbermaid container. Like, don't, don't look at my box of sins. <laughs> <laughs> so fun times, you know. So if you, if you if you get a, a message from any parent or anybody at all saying don't look in that box, don't look in the box. <laughs> What's in the box? Yeah. No. <laughs> Not to completely murder the mood or anything, but um, and you've stated repeatedly you don't know the rules of the afterlife. But uh, I'm going to ask you a really nice and simple question: What happens when we die, Alex? <laughs> in your apparently. You- Apparently, you find your nearest psychic medium and tell them to delete your browser history. Ah, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know. Okay, so this is ghost theory. Um, I I feel like I I don't necessarily believe in the concept of heaven or hell anymore. Um, I was raised Christian, but I don't I don't believe that heaven or hell exists i think that you do exist you you exist in a different form um i've had way too many encounters with spirits to to believe that you know we i don't know i feel like we just kind of hang out around here um or we choose to I, i i have seen some pretty compelling cases for reincarnation that makes me believe that maybe we are given a choice um we could hang out here or we can go and try again Um, or if we want to advise somebody that seems to be the trend that I'm seeing. And, um, like even like with my mom hanging around, like, I don't know where she goes, like the rest of the time that I don't need her. Although she does tend to hang out a bit sometimes because she likes, um, one of my cats, one of my cats was absolutely her baby, uh, (laughs) growing up. And I'll sometimes like Sophie will like look up and she'll just start chirping at her the same way that she chirped at my mom and she never chirps for anyone else. So I'm like, okay. So 
Um, so I don't know, like, or maybe my mom's checking in with, you know, her ex or she's hanging out with my grandparents. Um, although on one end though, I will say, um, my grandparents don't really interact with me at all. Um, there was only one time that my grandpa popped up and that was when I first met Alice. And, um, I mean, you see me, like, I don't read as part Asian off the bat. Um, but when she first met me, she didn't know my last name. She just knew me by my first name. And I was just screening her for, to be a, to be a medium on my team. And she said, I'm really confused right now because there is a Japanese man in a Hawaiian shirt and aviators hanging out with you. And I don't know if he's a spirit guide, but I think he's related to you. And I'm like, oh yeah, it's my grandpa. Like, cause my grandpa was born and raised in Hawaii and, you know, air force and he loved his aviators. Um, but, you know, but my grand, but other than that, and my grandma, you know, turning off the light, you know, the, the night that she passed, they don't really, they don't really do or say anything. And even if I ask for them to come, they're just like, no. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, I, so I feel like, like they're just hanging out in some ethereal space and just living their best afterlife. Um, so I, know, I feel like there's, there's, there's options out there and it doesn't necessarily mean like, oh, you go to heaven and you're, get your wings and everything. Um, yeah, it's, it, that's a tricky question. Um, I will say the times that, you know, the night my mom passed, I felt like I was flying through space with her out of space, like stars and everything. My, anytime, like I've dreamt about my mom, she's always surrounded by stars. Like she's in the, like she's in space. It's the weirdest thing. Um, but I've also had that similar feeling when someone I love passed away. It's like, we go through the stars. So I don't know. Um, maybe it's like in a way we return to the stars. I don't know. It's a, there's so much, there's so many possibilities out there, but heaven, hell, nah, but hanging out spiritually. Yeah. Yeah. I could be about that. I could see uh, lingering around to troll my future generations. That sounds like a lot of fun. Give some really bad advice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> ruin them. Just ruin them, beginning to end. Constantly appear in the sky, going, "Remember who you are." And they're, like, <laughs> <laughs> they're like, "I'm just buying Subway." <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Alex, thank you so much for giving us your time. We have one more question for you, and it is the easiest yeah. one. Uh, what's next for Alex, and where can people find your work? Ooh, what's next for Alex? Well, I am releasing a new book, uh, hopefully in September. It is called The Hamptonville Hauntings. It is about a haunted, uh, old, an old haunted hospital in the boonies of North Carolina. Uh, that's that was one of the few accessible places in North Carolina that became one of my favorites. Um, with a very layered history to it, uh, with a very um confusing uh timeline of events um so i more so wrote the book yeah i more so wrote the book to clarify a lot of things because as the place gets more famous or gets more well known um its story is being skewed a bit so i was like okay i need to write the book so the story that i know and the research i've done is in print so people can look it up um so that's coming up and then i will be heading to mass paracon in november um and then I'll be heading to the Lizzie Borden house the next weekend after that. Leapwood Paracon in September in Virginia. And then, yeah, and I'm planning a wedding too. So I, <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why I thought this was the year to write a book the same year I'm planning a wedding. Uh, why did I do that to myself? <laughs> I'm my own worst enemy. Um, yeah. And then next uh, next June 2023, Troy Taylor just announced that I'm a speaker at the Haunted America Conference awesome. um, in Illinois. Yeah. Oh, that's, yeah, pretty, that's, that's a... pretty close to us, too. Ooh, okay. okay we're, we're in yeah. Michigan. Illinois is not a far drive because we're on the south southeast side of Michigan. So. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited for that one. Um, yeah, I mean, I've hit a lot of bucket list things this year that I'm really excited about, like speaking for the Rhine Research Center. That was like my, if I was able to do that, I've made it. And now that I've done it, I'm like, have I made it? So, <laughs> now that you've done it, it's like, so what's next? Yep, yep, exactly. Because that's like the ultimate goal I had been working towards like yep. for most of my career. All right. Well, thank you so, so much for giving us some of your time this evening. This was a lot of fun. We hope yes. you had a great time. Uh, yeah. I, oh, yeah. I think that's it. So thanks again and have a great night. Thank you.
walk with us.